0: I mean, as long as none of us die on air, it's basically better than 2020 on average.
1: Welcome to episode 441 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. This is Rye Markatilio mercracken here at the Institute for Local Self Reliance. Today we're doing our end of the year show where we review the previous year's predictions and discuss what's going to happen with broadband in the coming year. And I'm going to turn it over to Chris here to introduce who we've got.
0: No, I think you're going to you're going to turn it over to me so I can do the introduction that makes Travis and his wife so happy. Okay, do Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bids Podcast. Not as good as uh, Katie did it last year. I was just reminded of of her brilliant, brilliant rendition last year. And you won't hear Katie's voice today, unfortunately, because she has abandoned us. We have some new voices. We have an exciting team. But I have to say 2020 shook things up in ways that I never would have expected, such that the only person from last year's prediction show that is back is Michelle Andrews, our GIS and data researcher. Welcome back Michelle.
2: Good to be back. You also were there last year Chris, so. True. <laughs>
0: yeah, but I'm going to I'm going to be here in 2046. <laughs> Uh we also have another returning voice, but just not from last year, someone that I'm very excited to, to bring back, who's been thinking about this stuff for a long time, who started with us as an intern and has just blossomed into a genius uh, and then abandoned us for grad school and is now back leading a project. Hannah Trosol, welcome back.
3: Thanks. It's great to be here again.
0: Hannah is officially on staff, uh, just not permanently. So whenever they finish the project, uh, that will be the end, and curtains, So, um, but unless I can come come up with another project and bring them back. (laughs) So the new voices that we're going to hear today, let me introduce first Rye Mercatilio-McCracken, who you've already heard and has definitely the best name of the group. Welcome to your first year-end predictions and next year predictions show, Rai. Rye.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, I haven't got to do this yet, but I wanted to apologize to all the longtime listeners for the transition over from Lisa's
0: uh, wonderful voice
1: to having to hear me at the beginning of every episode over the last nine months. So I apologize about that.
0: We do miss Lisa, but Rai, I think you're a wonderful addition. Um, I think you need to laugh a little bit more and make more fun of me in the introductions, but um, there's a lot of promise there. And our final voice. So I mean, this is the first time we've ever tried to do six people on a show, I think, and it probably will work about as well as any time I try something new live and on the air. Uh, but our our sixth person is Sean Gonsalves, who is a crack writer, and researcher, and editor, and all around uh, fun person to be on staff with. Welcome to the show, Sean.
4: Thank you for having me, and uh, bonus points for pronouncing my last name correctly. I love it. I'm glad to be here. Um, my history of predicting things is very similar to Charles Barkley, which is to say it's abysmal. I'm usually wrong when I predict things. I don't that's know terrible why, life. but yeah, it's terrible.
0: <laughs> Sean is responsible for many of the of the long features that we're now doing because the guy loves to pad the word count. <laughs> yeah,
4: that's a nice way to put it. <laughs>
0: So we're gonna we're gonna start by I think I wanted to first say that um, we did not expect to have to continue our lives without Lisa in our office. And uh, earlier this year, Lisa got poached away by the state of Minnesota, where she's doing important work, working on telecom, still fighting the good fight to try to make sure people are getting the internet access that they need. Uh, but we have we have soldiered on, and uh, Rye has picked up a lot of her duties, and uh, we've moved on, and then. Right around that time, when Rye joined the team, uh, Katie decided she couldn't stand working with us anymore, and um, she'd rather get more money for the energy team. (laughs) She moved over to energy, which is work she'd been doing before uh, she came to us at ILSR, and uh, she's now doing great work on the energy team. And so that freed us up to bring on Sean. And that's how we got to where we are in 2020. Frankly, I know I, I will never say anything bad about the many great people that have worked for us because I've just loved working with all these folks. But this team is just really – it's a great team. And, and the best thing that happened in 2020 was that, um, was that the six of us get to work together, I think. So So that's probably the only good thing that any of us will say about 2020 <laughs> is, that, um, is that at least we have fun in our staff meetings and our program meetings. So I have um, I just did all the introduction, and everything else. Does anyone else wanna wanna start off on just quickly reviewing any thoughts from looking back at our at our, the wonderful world we lived in at the end of twenty nineteen and in which we were joking about how twenty twenty couldn't be that terrible and <laughs> of course the world was not gonna fall apart?
1: I don't have anything to review, but uh if it's not too early, I will make uh my first bold prediction uh for the coming year. You cannot restrain rye. Okay. My prediction is that uh, you, Chris, are going to experience a delayed response to all the stress of 2020, and in January 2021, we're going to come back, and your hair will be completely white, and <laughs> you'll look 15 years older.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I might look like I'm 36 years old then if that were to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I like that bold prediction, and. <laughs> Jeez, um, I I was telling some folks that uh, I make family calendars every year, and I'm looking at the photos I took twelve year twelve months ago, of my son, my family, things we did. <laughs> like I have never been so disassociated. For 15 years, every year I make these calendars, personalized calendars, in which I go through thousands of photos that I take over the course of the year. And I've never felt so alienated from the photos a year ago. It just seems like a different lifetime. I cannot believe it's been 12 months. So.
4: I'd like to hop in on the bold prediction uh, train here.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And it's, really, it's probably actually not all that bold, but I want to say it before somebody else does, because it's probably like my one prediction that makes any sense. Um, My prediction is that SB 152 in Colorado, which restricts municipalities from um, building uh, municipal broadband networks will be toast in the year 2021 for obvious reasons. Um, The pandemic of course has shown everyone that laws like that are ridiculous. They're embarrassing. As, as, as a, sort of a, a sort of an associated prediction of that. So that also would mean that the number of states, what is it now, like 19 that, pre, that prevent? That is our anomalies. official
0: count, and that is the correct count. Anyone that says 22 is incorrect.
4: So SB 52 goes down, and that number 19 goes to 15.
0: Oh wow, okay. So there's a history here, Sean. Last year I predicted we would see a lessening of barriers, not that they would be totally removed, but that we would see them chipped away at. And I was incorrect. So I was not so bold as to make that prediction for next year. But you're going there and now you can mm-hmm. in one year you can laugh at me and say say your your timing sucks, Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> anyone else yeah. anyone, anyone else in on this action? How many how many states at the end of this coming year at the end of 2021 will have uh, barriers, uh, to try to limit municipal networks. I'm going to say 18.
3: Okay. I'm going to say 17. One of us will have to be right. <laughs>
2: 16 is my lucky number. So I'm going to go for 16.
0: If 2020 is any guide, by the way, it's going to, the number is going to be 62. Right. What's your number? Yeah. I'm going to go the other direction. I'm going to say
1: 31. Oh. Uh, not because I'm a pessimistic person, but I think it, uh, Provides me a little more job security if that number goes up.
0: <laughs> you know, three weeks ago, or let's just say, let's say pre-November election, I was pretty confident that number would be down to zero because I thought this the federal government was very likely in January or February to uh, remove all the laws. And you can tell that I've kind of lost my enthusiasm for that. I I feel like, I mean, we'll find out what happens with Georgia as to who controls the Senate. But I don't know. I think the cable and telephone companies are looking to be more powerful than I thought they might be. Uh, they're powerful. The Comcast is going to be powerful in the Biden administration, and um, AT and T will be um, quite powerful, uh, especially what we're seeing at the FCC, where Republicans may control it, despite the way the system is supposed to work. Um, so, uh, so anyway, there's there's your range of, of folks um, that, that say it. Uh, I want to I want to go back and say that. Lisa made a prediction last year related to this, which was that she predicted several states would follow Connecticut's example and make it easier for municipalities to build networks by making it easier for them to be, get on polls, uh, whether it was free or not. And I thought that she was uh, visiting crazy town. And in fact, I was right. Uh, I don't think we have any record of any state trying to make it easier for municipal networks to, to build networks on polls.
4: Georgia is trying to make it easier for ISPs to hop on polls, right, one, uh, one, one buck per year per poll thing, but, uh, we'll see.
0: Yeah. I'd be very curious to see if that leads to more investment in those areas. Um, that's, uh, the Georgia co-ops proposed that and it's been accepted by their public service commission. So the, uh, there were predictions made on co-ops and the number of co-ops and, um, it's hard to say. We can't really judge them because <laughs> when Katie left, we stopped tracking it, um, and and this is something we're going to pick up again as we're able to um, add a little bit of staff capacity in, in 2021. But we have not been able to um, resume tracking that as we are um, all trying to figure out what works best for this team uh, in terms of uh, how we divide the workload. So that's something that's just been temporarily uh, dropped. But um, we can say confidently that the number of of electric co-ops is still growing, uh, not as rapidly as we thought it might, um, and probably not as rapidly as it would if the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund was correctly administered. But the FCC seems to have royally screwed the pooch on that one. And a lot of electric co-ops that were trying to get in uh, may have been iced out. Uh, perhaps by entities that were specifically bidding in those areas to prevent them from being able to build networks. And conspiracy alert, uh, there are some folks that I think have some good reason to believe that some of these areas might not even be built. It may have just been an opportunity to try to deny funds to anyone so that uh, some folks would be able to focus on uh, just picking off the the cheapest areas to build and preventing uh, subsidized competition. So... We're going to see what happens in the early part of 2021. And this is something I'm very fascinated by because I have no idea what's going to happen next there.
1: Yeah. I was going to ask you, Chris, what you thought, Uh, are we just going to find out a lot more once that quiet period ends here at the beginning of,
0: at the end of January, or are we going to have to wait a little longer to see what goes on? I think that the quiet period will end and a number of these consortiums will remain quite quiet. (laughs) Mm I know I think they're not going to have a reason to speak up. The, The question is, um, by February fifteenth, a lot of these companies have to demonstrate to the Federal Communications Commission that they have the money, which means that banks are going to loan them money that will uh, be the, the main source of funds for these for the builds in these areas. And if they have the money and they have a plan for technology, the FCC thinks is not totally Looney Tunes, then uh, then they'll be able to move forward and unlock those subsidies. And this is the next big issue is whether Congress intervenes before then to say, well, the FCC has screwed this up and you all need to fix it. Or if the FCC will have to decide, will we be embarrassed today by admitting that we got the auction wrong? Or are we going to start writing checks every month to these folks and hope that they somehow pull it off or that nobody notices when we admit that they got it wrong and, and they can't do it? Um, but I would really like to see the FCC just own its errors and make sure that they have an auction that has integrity.
1: Can I hop in and ask another question here?
0: Who's doing um, this interview? You are. Uh, you've been doing this sir, for- Sir. Uh, yes, sir. Oh, I've been watching forgot. too much Charlie Brown. Sorry.
1: Uh, you've been doing this for roughly three decades at this point, And I'm curious- if <laughs> breathing. so, the auction, the auction ended a little more than two weeks ago or whatever. Um, have you ever seen something like this happen before where an auction ends and we're confused and it's two weeks later and we're still just as confused about what happened?
0: I haven't. But I you know I'm there's so few people in this space that that bother to try to make it accessible for other people that um, I think for a lot of us, it's hard to know what happened in the past regarding this. Part of what we're seeing, I think, is what happens when you put sunlight on something that's never had sunlight on it before. Usually people weren't paying attention to this before, except for insiders. And one of the things we're desperately trying to do right now is to make sure that other people are aware of this, that people in these areas are are aware of what's happening. So I guess I can't really answer your question. I don't want to say no, but I can't think of an example. One thing I also want to credit Katie with is that she thought we'd see a lot more interesting partnerships from the electric co-ops, and we're seeing that um we've certainly seen a number and in fact just in Georgia there's several co-ops par- partnerships you know one's with windstream that i'm not particularly uh, excited about <laughs> like you know i like to see small local companies getting some of these partnerships but but there's just a lot of different opportunities and i think that's pretty exciting that there are innovative models moving forward
3: let's talk about windstream for a second because you had a prediction before we got on the show about the future of windstream and how RDOF is maybe bringing it Basically, back from the grave.
0: I guess I should say that that's not a original prediction of mine. Uh, one of the the folks that m- that monitors this space closely had made that comment to me that that he thought Windstream would come out of bankruptcy really strong. Um, I mean, the whole bankruptcy issue with Windstream, I didn't fully get. It was a totally different situation than Frontier. You know, Frontier. Was, a, was dead man walking for years. And everyone it was like a pool of how long it would take Frontier to fall into us. Windstream has different circumstances that I don't fully understand. But Windstream will come out with more money and a plan that seems likely to work, according to some people that are paying closer attention than me. So so yeah, I think with the off money, I would not predict the doom and gloom for all of the windstream areas that I would for all of the frontier areas. I feel really bad for folks in West Virginia. I think Senator Capito is right to be livid that uh, the federal government has decided to throw more cash at Frontier to do terrible things in West Virginia. <laughs> so I want to I poke Michelle because I haven't heard her voice in too long. And in going over some of these older predictions, was there anything else that, that stood out to you from what we did a year ago?
2: Yeah, I was um completely too optimistic about the census. Um I believe Jess I said something about how the census is coming come out and I could use that data to do some better mapping and it would be really cool to have up-to-date data on things and then Jess said that's really optimistic that the 2020 census is going to happen and um it was because it was super rushed and they kept changing the deadline and all sorts of shenanigans happened um that made made a lot of underreporting probably happen. So I mean, that's just another reason why, like, the FCC in general has to have better broadband mapping data, as well as just the census in general needs to do a better job of collecting the data in the near in the next 10 years to make up for it.
0: Yes, that was right around the time that uh, Katie made the prediction.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a little bold to assume that our society won't collapse within the next several months. (laughs) Katie, do not steal my prediction. (laughs)
0: It's fascinating to me that she didn't say six months or a year. She just nailed it several months. Um, And, you know, I mean, it's a pandemic and we haven't collapsed. There's been a lot of more suffering than is necessary, but uh, it's a little hard going back and reviewing those um, discussions. And then I think the last thing I want to note is – predictions that I uh, made and I get, I don't know how to value this. Let me ask, um, I'm going to ask Hannah and Rye in particular to evaluate me on this, but anyone else that wants to judge me should feel free. The question is whether the dam would break on the municipal model. And I kind of feel like it has, um, you know, it's not like there's, I don't think there's 30 new cities, but there's a bunch of new cities, um, you know um, whether it's the, the Western Massachusetts ones that are moving forward boldly. Um, you know, we've seen, um uh, Houston, Missouri. Um, there's several that are starting in Texas. It looks like um, you know. There's there's actually multiple in Utah. Even though Kaysville got set back a little bit. Um, there's there's a, and in like Quincy, Massachusetts is now t- is is like seems like moving forward. Reading, California. Um, you know, I, we're actually our job is to do a better job of knowing exactly how many there are, and we have to go through our notes to update our map. But I don't know. I feel like the dam didn't break, but it's it's sure got big cracks in it.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it'll be exciting to see what happens over the next year. But it does seem like, um in, at least in the last nine months, we've seen a real uptick of serious consideration and, and people people moving forward. I was watching the Lehigh-Utah City Council meeting the other day to see how it unfolded. And they opened it up to the public to make comments and questions. And there was one guy who stood up uh, and, you know... Since when you the, said a guy, a guy. it was just like, yeah, he's going to be a jerk. <laughs> he was, he was, uh, you know, uh, he wasn't strong. He wasn't strongly. He was, he was for them to build the network and wanted somebody else to administer it. Uh, but then, you know, they expected, I think a little more of a tsunami and he sat down and they said, okay, I guess that's the, the end of the public comment and we'll move forward. And then they, they voted uh, in favor.
0: Ah, see, I was assuming that it was someone who'd be vituperously opposed to it. And um, it's often what we see. But Mm -hmm. yeah, the fact that it's not even controversial um, or interesting, I guess, is in some ways useful. I mean, I would like to see people super excited about municipal broadband, but I will take, um, you know, people just being bored by it because it's so obvious to them that the city should do it. Hannah, what do you think? Is this just a matter of me trying to pretend that I got it right when in fact I didn't?
3: No, I think... I think you may have it right. I mean, you did qualify it and say that the, the dam hasn't fully broken. Just you you have large, large cracks in there. Um, I'm excited to see where it goes in the next couple of years. I mean, we've seen people talk about municipal broadband now um, in the tribal broadband space.
0: Well, yeah, this is actually, I mean, we could just, we can do a little foreshadowing. What is happening in the tribal broadband space, Hannah? Previously, our sense was that there was between 10, maybe 20 tribes that actually had tribal broadband networks that they were operating that were being deployed. Um, You're about to publish research about this. Can you give us a little hint as to what the number is closer to?
3: Uh, Yeah, it's definitely more in the 30 to 40 range, I would say. And I feel like that... Ten number probably comes from the number that are ETCs eligible to telecommunications carriers. Um I believe there's that number's only in the teens as far as um, tribally owned broadband networks.
0: Is that a, a faucet running behind you? Do you, have a, do you have like a waterfall in your in your room where you're recording there? Uh,
4: oh no, that's my that's my waterfall. <laughs> oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say Is that a- soothing for you, Sean?
4: It it actually is soothing. See, it's coming. See those mountain, that mountain range. It's, it's, it's the faint sound of that. uh, I actually, I
3: actually moved rooms because there's a cat water fountain in my main office. (laughs) So I did not want that in the background.
0: Look at what 2020 has done to us. Once proud people. Um, the other thing that i would I would note is that um, I cynically predicted that broadband discussions in public policy would be focused almost entirely on rural areas, and I think I was wrong 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 the u s House proved me wrong I think um, representative Clyburn and uh, representatives Anna Eschew, others uh, made sure that when the house Decided to get into broadband legislation that they crafted a bill that would improve broadband access uh, both in terms of infrastructure for some urban settings and also um, more than a billion dollars of digital inclusion money so. I am so thrilled to have seen that. And now we're all really hoping that that makes its way into 2021 and into legislation that uh, the new president signs. So I'm glad to have been wrong about that. I think we really need to have a balanced discussion about how to connect people. So any comments on, on that dynamic from this past year?
4: I still think that the, uh, I mean, you're right to, to, to point to uh, that, that legislation in Clyburn. I still think a lot of the coverage that you see, Broadband expansion is very much focused in rural areas, which I think it's not a stretch to say that expanding rural broadband um, can be seen as kind of like a code word as well, you know, when you get into the politics of it all in terms of the, you know, the folks who live in these areas.
0: Being white, being assumed to be white, because many of them are in fact not white. (laughs) Right. It's also
1: been heartening to see the amount of uh, work and the efforts being launched by uh, maybe we would say non-traditional actors to bring uh, broadband coverage to urban areas. I'm thinking of all the kind of neighborhood-wide or community-wide or school district-wide uh, free uh, wireless networks that have cropped up in places like Providence and Pittsburgh and San Antonio and... Um, San Rafael. And San Rafael. And these you know nonprofits who are stepping up to the plate with a lot of help from local government and setting these things up in relatively short order and bringing, you know, good, decent broadband coverage to the people who need it most in their communities.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the stories that's been lesser told that we'll see more of. I, I would predict that we'll see more of those stories because there are so many schools that are right now building networks or have a partnership to deliver services. And unfortunately, this isn't entirely good, Um the challenge is that if the school district is building a network to connect kids uh, well, that's terrific. We desperately need to make sure that the kids have access, but it means that uh family that does not have children in the school um or you know retiree uh living on a fixed income uh, may not have coverage and may see less likelihood of getting proper investment to solve that problem when the kids' problems are taken care of. And so, you know, I think it's worth remembering that the schools are responding to failed leadership at the local level, failed leadership at the state level, failed leadership at the federal level, and it's, they need to take action, but it's, uh, it's because of failure. Um, And, and I think that's just really frustrating.
3: I feel like I need to make a joke about how I am the count of ILSR, because as soon as I left, it was like y'all could, couldn't keep track of these co-ops anymore.
0: Oh, I disagree. <laughs> I think Katie did a great job. Um, it's a no, hard job. Katie
3: did a great job until she left.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, I mean, once she joined the energy team, she did a crap job of counting our co-ops for us, <laughs> frankly. Very disappointed. She hasn't come to any of our meetings. Oh, just terrible. Yeah. Um, the um, while we're talking about the education networks, I don't know. I, I want to ask everyone their favorite story of this past year, and um, not. I know that Sean isn't prepared for this, but um, some of the rest of you may have given that a thought. Uh, but my favorite story is Chattanooga. Um, I you know I. I can have a second favorite. I'm going to go first and last in this. (laughs) So, my first favorite one is Chattanooga and the fact that they're extending uh, fiber broadband, very high quality services to 17,000 families, all the kids in the free and reduced lunch program. I'm hoping that not only will this be great for them, but we'll see research coming out that will that will be surprising for people that aren't us um, in terms of how many benefits this creates in terms of of additional benefits for these families and and lower lower costs for government programs and maybe servicing these families. Um, and so I just I'm so thrilled, and also gave me an opportunity to talk to Deb a little bit more this year. Deb Sosha, who just is continuing to do great work in Chattanooga, along with many other great people who are on staff at her organization and working for various parts of the city. So that is uh, I think one of my favorite stories of 2020. Who else is a favorite story?
4: Does Rise Turkey story count? Because that man <laughs> is is is, is a, if anyone who sees this who hasn't read it needs to read that.
1: <laughs> oh man, I was hoping that we wouldn't bring that up.
2: I was I was also going to say that story, but I didn't want to be the one to to bring it up, so <laughs> you didn't want to be was... a jerk. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Michelle, what's your favorite story?
2: I don't know if I have a specific favorite story. I just think that the like conversation this whole year about like and how much more aware people that have broadband are becoming a people that don't have about with broadband and like how that's affected their lives both in so many ways, especially because of the pandemic. But I mean, it was a problem previously, but it's so much worse now, um, both education and communication and just being able to maybe even order groceries online if you needed to do that. Um, so I just think that that is one of the silver linings of the pandemic in general of all these stories that we have about people like, The school districts specifically, but just in general, um, more people being more aware and working towards it for their communities is pretty cool. It
0: is far easier now to explain to people why upload is important. Yeah. (laughs) That's nice.
2: And I think that part of that discussion as well that I think NDIA has also been doing is like the, the education aspect behind actually using... The internet and the digital literacy part has been become more important, I think, and that's been more of a conversation. Like I made a prediction last year that it wasn't going to be much of the election conversation, and it became a little bit more so um, with the pandemic. So,
4: oh, can can I just um, make an addendum to? Uh, so, in addition to you know Rice Turkey Story, which again is fabulous, but
0: and posted around ser- Thanksgiving.
4: Yeah, but in all seriousness, actually Rice Story on Onlyville neighborhood. And I mean, obviously, you guys have. Forgotten more stories than I've read into the archives, but his story on the Onlyville neighborhood in Providence, Rhode Island, is is really interesting, just because of, to my mind, the collaborations, the nonprofits that came together, the way they tackled it, and unlike in many instances, with you know, as a result of the pandemic, where there's a lot of effort being put into, as you pointed out, Chris, connecting kids to schools. With Onlyville, they really looked at it through a healthcare lens, which I think you know is a is a is a broader one. And so, anyway, I think that story was, was it, so far for me has been at least one of my favorites, just because of that unique approach and and, and and vision.
0: I think that's a it's a very good point. And the part that I really liked about that story also was is the honesty that Jennifer Hawkins had in terms of. Like, one of several people building gap networks who told us that may not have done it if if she understood the challenges when she started, and I think that commitment to see something through even when it gets really hard uh, that's something we need to have more of
1: and I think there are a lot more stories out there like that that are getting ready to you know uh, unfold in in a similar way um, and I'm excited to see those kind of um, blossom over the next you know six months to a year as well
0: yes and i and I feel like the hope in some ways is that that creates a, a local uh, an infrastructure of people that, you know, the Wi-Fi is not going to solve everyone's problems and they're well aware of that. And now the next step will be, okay, how do we force the city and the state to put real money into this to actually solve the problem? And, and I think for people who might be looking at that and saying, yeah, but it's wifi, it's not going to be perfect. And it won't be, but it's, it's not the last step. These are people that are motivated. They're competent and they're, I think pretty, um, pretty impressive. So I like
1: that term you uh, that infrastructure of people, I think that's well put,
0: so Hannah, favorite story?
3: I don't really have a favorite story. Um, <laughs> Hannah's favorite
0: story is graduation.
3: <laughs> yes, that is uh, surviving the last half of a semester suddenly online, moved to a different state um, <laughs> in a different time zone. Yes, that is my my favorite story, but no, um I really. Um, appreciated over this this summer and this fall being able to to interview folks involved with um, tribal broadband and learn about all the different ways that it's being adapted and used and all the different um, applications of it like Michelle was saying just that has become a very big part of the story this year
1: and Rye Uh, I think my favorite story of the last year was what happened with the New Hampshire Electric Cooperative. In June, a a vote fell short by two percentage points to add broadband to the cooperative's charter. Uh, Less than a week later, the board voted unanimously to create a separate entity to pursue broadband projects for the 85,000 plus uh, members of the cooperative. And then after a month-long vote here in October, uh, 88% of those who voted uh, voted yes to um, to modify the cooperative's uh, policy and procedure to give it the flexibility needed to do things like pursue state funding um, and get those broadband projects off the ground. So uh, I'm excited with what happens when anytime you get a bunch of people in on the ground to uh, push leadership for change, maybe even when that leadership was uh, being a little intransigent. Um, and so I'm excited to see what happens with uh, the electric co-op here in New Hampshire.
0: Yeah, that's one of my favorite stories too. I love those stories of, of the board and leadership having real hesitations and a committed number of people working together to educate folks and, and demonstrate that this was something it could do and it needed to do. My other, my second story then is the 2.5 tribal priority window. Um, you know, it's, it's a year ago that I believe chairman pie um, who, you know, is, is Trump's pick. Um, uh, move forward with an aggressive window um, to allow uh, tribes to have first, uh, first shot at a limited number of licenses to use specific spectrum uh, over their territories. And at first, it was going to be a two-month window. And it was argued, this was long before the pandemic, that that was not enough time. And uh, I would say that many of us did not expect Chairman Pai to lead the way, to have an expanded window of six months. And he did. And I, I think that is a real uh, commendation to him. Um, and it, the, the FCC was assuming that it would see like 10 to 20 tribes apply. I think in the end it was over 150 um because of their hard work again of a, of a of a small number of people that went out and worked with the tribes um i think it could have been well over 200 uh if we had not had the pandemic many tribes were just unable to take advantage of this during a during a period in which they had very poor connectivity and they were trying not to engage in risky behavior so they couldn't do some of the information sharing um you know, I think it is very disappointing the FCC did not increase that window by a longer period of time to allow more opportunity. But nonetheless, it was a success. And I hope it is the first step of many needed steps to give more tools to uh, the the native networks um, to make sure that we're able to resolve the, the glaring inadequacy of of broadband on in, in Indian country. So I think that's a really good story that, that um, we should remember. This is a this is a really good time to remind people that we're at the Institute for Local Self Reliance, which is a nonprofit 501c3, and we would love to have your money in our bank account so we can do great things with it. <laughs> um you know, I, I would say that we are we would love to um have your support to be able to build um the the kind of foundation we've been building to move this um, movement forward. And um, I feel like we do a great job of stretching dollars as far as we can. Uh, we have all kinds of interesting content. I think we've, we've demonstrated that, and we'd love to have your support. Um, you know, for people who, who are tapped out because uh, you've given all your money to struggling local businesses, I support you. I'm with you. I'm glad that you're supporting those local businesses. Um, you can also give us great podcast reviews. Um, we have several good podcasts Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, the Composting Podcast. And then we have some great podcasts, which are produced by this team, which have my voice in them a lot of the time, um, Community Broadband Bits and uh, the Connect This Show. Uh, so, you know, um, tell your friends, uh, tell people on whatever Apple's calling its, its app today, um, call them on, tell them on Stitcher and Google and all those other platforms. And uh, hopefully this has been the most fun pitch you've heard for support for many of the podcasts you're listening to uh, at the end of this season. Thank you so much. We we just we appreciate that you're giving us your time. And uh, with that, we're going to come back to the show. So let's roll through. I want to ask if there's any more predictions. And I specifically want to ask Michelle. I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, the FCC, are they going to do new maps? Are we going to have good, accurate data rolling in in one year's time?
2: Uh, supposedly, we are supposed to have more accurate maps. Um, but I... Don't know if the timeline has changed with the pandemic, like in their, like how they're rolling it out, but also just the fact that it's still mandatory for the companies to report it. And there's not like a lot of error checks on the other side of like, if this company is actually providing service in that location, um, like they're supposed to be more accurate instead of just by census box. But um, we'll see, because I think that that's, I think that's the main weakness in the FCC data is it's not spatially explicit, but it also isn't checked. From year to year or month to month, six month period. So
0: is it going to happen?
2: It's supposed to. It's supposed to.
0: (laughs) That's a real dodge. We're going to remember that. I don't
2: think it's going to. Honestly, (laughs) I think that I think if it's going to, it'll be six months to a year after they said. They're supposedly the next data set is going to be that way, but I don't. I don't see it happening.
0: I am very pessimistic about the FCC right now, um, in part because I'm worried that Mitch McConnell will remain the uh, Senate Majority Leader, and it will basically prevent a, the the Biden administration from getting its picks on the FCC, which would then leave the FCC deadlocked and rudderless effectively, which to me suggests that we would not see any of these good things happening unfortunately so that's what I worry about
2: i do I do have one prediction though that might be in left field, but um I do see maybe the shenanigans with the ardoff and other like rural broadband funding maybe being being able to call it out being a little more easier in the next year because I think a lot of people are moving to more rural areas with their jobs going more remote and they want those connections. So I think that there might be more political push if more people are actually doing that. I don't know if that's really going to be a huge migration um, in the coming year, but I think that that might be a good thing to predict. I think that's a
0: a solid prediction. I mean, especially uh, in the New England area, perhaps, as we see New Yorkers uh, that was probably really terrible. Ryan is just not able to speak now because already he's laughing. um moving out of the city um and up toward Boston.
4: Yeah, we've <laughs> see, we're seeing a lot more um New York license plates uh here on Cape Cod, that's for sure. Uh,
0: I'm 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 going to I'm going to relate a prediction that we heard from our wonderful connect this show that Rai's been producing, uh, on the open access show, which was just a, a great debate. Uh, Jeff Christensen predicted that we would see a new application on open access networks, uh, probably in Amman I'm guessing, uh, that would be something that's new and different that we haven't seen on networks before. And so I want to come back and evaluate that. And, uh, and just, I'm excited about that because we've been waiting for this for a little while. Um, that's exciting. And actually one of my predictions is we're going to have a lot more connect this episodes, connect this because it's just so much fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Those have been a lot of fun to listen to and I'm glad we're doing them.
4: And it's the one prediction you have the most control over. too. So (laughs) that works out well. (laughs)
0: It's going to be four episodes in like the second week of January, just to prove myself. Right. So I got to win. I do think we're going to see more immunity and open access networks. Let's say, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, in some ways, I'm going to make a prediction, which is something that would have already happened, but we wouldn't know it yet. And that said, I think we will see 20 new networks, new municipal networks. Hmm. And that would include cities that are getting a network that's expanding into them from like, you know, if Chattanooga were to expand, if it was permitted to, for instance. Um, but I predict we'll see 20 new communities that have municipal fiber networks. Many of them will be their own and several of them are going to be open access. Um, and, and I think it could well be beyond that, frankly. Um, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm out there and it's an exciting time.
1: Yeah, I'm also excited to see um, more and more counties partnering with electric co-ops uh, to get projects off the ground. I feel like we saw a goodly number of those, especially in the second half of this year, and that kind of momentum is going to continue into 2021.
0: I would love to see more of the, the conduit model that West Des Moines has pioneered with Google Fiber, but um, there is a lawsuit that Mediacom has filed to challenge it. And uh, the lawsuit basically alleges that the way it's being funded is improper. And so um, there'll be a little cloud hanging over that for a little bit, I guess, which is disappointing because it's a really good model. And I think it deals with the concerns a lot of cities have with not wanting to offer their own services. Let me ask, I'm going to put everyone on the spot to just ask, in one year, are we going to be excited at what the the Biden administration and the new Congress accomplish in broadband? Or are we just going to be frustrated. Um, and let's assume that they're going to do something, but is it going to be something where we are excited about it? Or are we just going to say we could have done so much more and we just didn't get it done?
4: Yes. I I'm, I'm fully in the camp that they'll do something and it will be underwhelming.
1: I think that's probably a pretty safe bet shot. Uh, I'm going to say they're going to do something and it's going to be uh, maybe not as much as we all would like, but it's going to be some real good forward progress. I think it's going to be robust action, whatever that ends up looking like. I feel like, it will be, uh, I'll, I'll be more optimistic at this time next year.
0: That's a good way to phrase it. Go ahead, Hannah.
3: I was just going to say, I'll say it'll probably leave us frustrated. So the opposite of Rye.
2: I, I'm torn because I think that there's just like a lot of other things that need to happen in the next year. Um, broadband is connected to a lot of those issues and like having more access will help a lot more people with those issues. But I think that, with this cabinet picks and like the people that he's, so I think 5g is going to be the way they're going to go or something like that. Oh, and so we'll be a little more frustrated. We
0: almost made it through. A show. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. <laughs> But that's, that's where I'm my camp. I think it'll be, we will be frustrated, but maybe some progress in, in some areas.
0: You know, honestly, I feel like whether I'm feeling optimistic or pessimistic a year from today, it will probably have more to do with my mental state that day than, than the actual legislation that's passed. <laughs> So, um, uh, but I, I do think I, I, I would say that when uh, Sean's been doing great work detailing this, uh, affordable, accessible internet for all act. And, uh, it's hard for me to believe that there'll be anything that ambitious that's put forward. I think I'm where Rye ends up, which is that like, it will be something that is less ambitious, but, um, I think it could very, very well move the ball down the field. And, and frankly, we're going to do what we can, you know, like we're here and and we might be frustrated, but, like, we can't determine what the Biden administration is going to do. We are going to do everything we can to work with anyone. Um, you know, I, I was just thinking, like, you know, I'd work with a, with a Reuben sandwich if I thought it would result in uh, more access. I, one of the things about our team, I think, is that we we don't have a big ego about the work that we do. We just try to figure out how to get some things done. And if the environment makes that easier, fine. If not, we'll work harder. And, uh, that's kind of how I think of it.
1: I was just going to make a terrible joke about, uh, being okay with working with a Reuben sandwich, even if it doesn't move the ball forward on broadband. I love a good Reuben.
4: <laughs> you know, oh, you I, like those, you, you like those sandwiches?
0: Absolutely. No way. Oh, wow. I was actually just, they popped in my head as things I don't like. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And I didn't realize I was working with an office
1: of pessimistic, Ruben-hating people.
2: (coughs) I I enjoy Ruben, so I'm I'm in your camp in that, right?
1: We'll put a panini press in the office whenever we go back and we can make Rubens all day.
4: I like all the ingredients separately. Somehow I just don't like it all together.
1: So last shot at predictions. What do we got? I think we're going to see EC Fiber go on a tear here. It seems like they've got a lot of momentum uh, going on up there in the Northeast. And I'm excited to see uh, them continue. They've got a whole bunch of uh, projects in various stages of completion. They got some cares money to, um, to make some additional progress in places. And so I think it's a, it's a good time to be living in their territory.
0: Yes. Yeah, they do. They do such good work and it's exciting to see Vermont. There's multiple communications union districts popping up. I think it's exciting. I think what has, what's happening in Maine is exciting. We're going to see new investment there. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited at these places where people are really taking their future into their own hands. And and I think EC Fiber is a great model for that.
1: The last the last question I wanted to pose to the team is Chris. You said you, we might see twenty or thirty more municipal networks launch, a bunch of new electric cooperative subsidiaries launching. I'm curious if people have uh, an idea of what the maybe what the craziest or best uh, name for a new broadband subsidiary will be next year, because I feel like this is a uh, an area that's ripe for terrible puns and lots of uh, repetition and very little originality in some ways don't mean to put you all on the spot here
4: that's a great question
0: i think pulse is an excellent name for a uh project thor might be my favorite recently for the Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. something
1: clear bulb i mean i wouldn't be surprised if that already uh has been
0: kicked around some somewhere yeah Longmont is next light which is similar
3: Mm. i was gonna say light year
4: i'm trying to think of some like young person vernacular that is related to, you know, fiber in some kind of way.
3: Fiber on fleek.
4: Yeah, fiber on fleek.
0: <laughs> so, I I was trying to remember the word fleek, and then I couldn't remember it. And I, my next thought was, "Damn, you're old." <laughs>
4: yeah. Basically, when we start using those words, it means that they've no longer. I speak.
0: can't even remember those words anymore. In- it's just I'm going to be like, remember those words the kids used to say. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was thinking, you know, I'm trying to think of other good examples. Like there's Firefly um, is really great from CVEC in Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. There's a there's a lot of good names out there, but I'm trying to think of something that's borderline inappropriate that I'll be unsure if I should say on the air. I can't even think of anything.
4: <laughs> what, what, what did the kids say? It's, it's lit. There's <laughs> Well, <while> there are. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well Brian Snyder is running lit communities and I've that's I've right. long wondered if that was uh, a name that might harm him in some <laughs> some quarters. Although not many states now, you got a lot of states that are ex- that are encouraging lit communities. So
2: <laughs> I I think we should have one that's just an emoji, like that's the,
0: right. that's the like the that, prince that. network.
2: <laughs> yep, or just like the fire emoji, like it lit communities, but the, the, just the emoji though. No mm-hmm. no words.
3: Uh, yeah. The that reminds me, the Phoenix Water Department actually uses the poop emoji as their, their brand mascot. <laughs> I got a pen from them. That's just know, the poop emoji.
0: I know what Sean's latest Google query is. <laughs> well, I think we should wrap there. This, is, this has been a... I feel like this has been a pretty good show for having six people all trying to figure out how to not talk over each other.
2: I'm still... Struggling. Who's the sixth person, Chris? <laughs> I've, I've been, been wondering
0: about the whole this story. too. Uh, there's, there's five oh. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking there's five people on the screen plus me, but I'm one of the people on the screen. You know, it's been a hard week. It's been a hard year. It's been a hard month. So uh, we'll see how many people are sitting at home waiting for that sixth person to say something. <laughs> <laughs> we can <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe our maybe our editor will figure out some way of just throwing in another voice. <laughs>
1: If so you just say the say the number five, so she can dub
0: it in over right. every time you say six. Five. <laughs> that way, it'll be a totally different cadence and pace. I mean, if um, we have
2: Katie's voice popping,
0: no, the I feel like this is this is an six. Easter egg for people who are early on, and then if they make it all the way to the end to get to find out that I'm an idiot. <laughs> Well, that's a great way to end 2020, folks. Uh, we hope that, that 2021 is going to be great. There's been some great parts of 2020. And let's just forget everything else that's not in that set and move on, do what we can. And uh, it's it's been a great team to work with you all. Um, I would like to um, uh, thank you all for the great work that you do. And I'm excited to, to make big accomplishments and changes in 2021.
4: Thanks, thanks, thanks. That's, it's been fun. This was fun. And I'm looking forward to 2021. Yes. Thanks for having us. This was fun.
2: Yeah. Good times. Thanks.
0: Thank you all for listening. And the next show will probably be uh, more to the point of what you're looking for in this show. But we had fun. (laughs) Take care, everyone. That was our end of the
1: year review and predictions episode. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at
0: muninetworks.org slash broadband bits. And we've really appreciated your being a listener. If you're never going to listen to another one of our shows, first of all, I'm surprised you're still listening right now. But we've enjoyed having you.
1: Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at community nets. It's worth it. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at networks. It's all right. of the Community Birdman Bits Podcast. Thanks for listening.